testimony. We die daily to ourselves so that he can fill us up even more and be more in control. And that will never change until we have that full change. That's what we're groaning for, that day of redemption. We, we can see nature groaning for it, clearly. You wonder how much longer things can possibly delay. It's just getting so intense. But in our heart, you know, I was sharing with somebody that Brother Branham said that uh, talking about those that are sealed by the Holy Ghost. He says, it's only those that sigh and cry for the abominations. And I'll, I'll be totally transparent. For years, I thought, Lord, do I even have the Holy Ghost? I can't say that that's really my testimony. I don't want to just pretend it, but I, I feel that way now. The conditions are such that that spirit within me, that Holy Spirit, absolutely sighs and cries. It's just sick at what we see there. I think, well, praise the Lord. That's the truth. Your word is true, and we are groaning for that day. Amen. Well, just before we uh, turn to the word here, I did want to understand that Brother uh, uh, Ed was going to be streaming in this morning. He said he was going to have to get up at 5.30, so if he kept his word, I told him I'd wave to him. <laughs> and I wanted to assure him that John did a fine job at the wedding yesterday, and uh, I believe they were successfully married, so that's important. And uh, I just also have been trying to make Ed feel real comfortable over there because, you know, he's, he's there in Hawaii where it's warm. And, and if things were nice and warm back here, it would be kind of a disappointment, you know, to have gone away for a holiday and then find out it's equally nice back home. So, Brother Ed, you missed the minus 41 while I was here. <laughs> it was minus 9 on Thursday night, minus 14 on Friday night, and minus 18 la last night. So that's 9, 14, it's 41. So... I was always good at math, so uh, we do that for you, Brother Ed. We appreciate you. 
Well, it's good to be here this morning, and uh, good to be, I just, I feel at home here as we've gotten to know you over the years. This has been a, uh, a special place to come and just to feel at home, and whether we're speaking or just a part of a service, it's got some wonderful memories. But if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, we're going to read from chapters 14 and chapters 16. The subject that I want to speak on is one that I've, I've spoke back home. Actually, we took a five, I think it was a five-part series on the atonement. And we all know the atonement, but I don't know if any of us really knows the atonement. The more I dig, the more I realize how little I actually knew. And that's why I just kept expanding and expanding and expanding. So we're going to try to get some of the highlights of those five services today. Because I believe that this is something that is essential to our walk with the Lord... And you'll understand why as we get into it. But also, it's becoming more of a current issue. You can just see what, what the devil's trying to do to derail God's program. And it has to do with this. So by God's grace, we just pray that he'll have his preeminence this morning and be able to, uh, to really speak to our hearts. I want to read one verse from John chapter 14, and that's verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me... The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. That's the key part of the whole verse. And that's the part that we just kind of skim over and don't really think too much about. Because I go to my Father, and that's what I want to title to today's thought. Turn to John 16. We're going to read verse 7, and then we'll jump down to verse 13. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Verse 13, how be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but so whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. That's our thought this morning. We'll just ask the Lord's blessings on it now, and let's just bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we truly have come this morning expecting to be drawn closer to you, Lord. We know that we will not leave this building the same as we came in. And our desire, our request is, Lord, that we would come closer to you, become a better Christian, more pleasing to you in all, all ways, Father. Lord, I pray that you'd give me the, the words to say. I want to say it with your spirit, Lord. Anoint every heart and ear here to receive your word as it goes forth. And we just surrender ourselves, commit ourselves to you, and we give you our love and our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And you can be seated. When I heard someone was here from Arkansas, I wondered if we were going to have to have an interpreter here this morning, but uh, <laughs> I was just in Arkansas a couple months ago, so. That word, it is expedient for you that I go away. That word expedient means it was necessary to accomplish or to achieve a certain desired result. 
this must take place so that what we're trying to accomplish can be accomplished. So it was expedient for us that Jesus went away. Now, the disciples there in the flesh, they didn't want to miss his fellowship. Even Jesus himself there, the Garden of Gethsemane and so forth. He did not want to leave his disciples as a man. But nonetheless, he says, not my will, but thine, Father. Because it was expedient that he go away. Because, the, you know, it'd be one thing. We have, we, we, we have nine grandchildren. We just had a, a, the youngest one here very recently. Well, you know, as, as much as I appreciate it, I, I don't want to stay in this spot in time. I want to see them grow up a bit because then the fellowship becomes better and deeper and you can, and just until they become teenagers. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, we, we can't stay. There's, there's something more that's coming that's, that's important, that's going to be special. Well, of course, God being perfect and, and, and knowing all things, he knows exactly what his goal is. And so everything is moving from where we are to bring us to that final goal. And it's going to be a perfect and it's going to be beyond anything we've even begun to think or consider. So we just trust him for that. So I, I want to just kind of give a background or a context for this uh, subject. We'd go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we could see that, that sin entered in. Of course, it wasn't something that God was not prepared for. For the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Our names were written there. He knew because it was in him to be a, a savior and a healer and so forth. So he had to have someone to save, someone to heal. So he made man in such a way that they would make choices and would fall. He didn't cause them to fall, but he made them so that they could. And being all-knowing, he knew that they would. So that took place. So in the Garden of Eden, he made a promise. He said that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. So then we, we go forward and we see that Jesus Christ came, born of a woman, virgin born, because to pay the price, it had to be a perfect lamb without blemish. No other way. And so here we have this, the story of Bethlehem. And so much of the world focuses on that. It's just a wonderful story. They mostly don't believe that it was actually virgin born. But they still kind of like that warm, fuzzy feeling with that story. But nonetheless, that was essential. Had he not come virgin born, there'd have been no salvation. There'd be no forgiveness of sins. But he did come born of a virgin without spot or wrinkle. And he lived a life without sin. There were no mistakes with, with that man. Even though he was a man... He was perfect because he had to be to be able to be a correct sacrifice. So, but if that's where it would have stopped, none of us would have a hope. We would still be in our sins. So that perfect lamb had to come to Calvary and he died. He sacrificed, shedding God's blood on the cross. And that was to pay the penalty that you, none of us could ever pay for our sins. But that was still not sufficient. He died on the cross. We were still in our sins. Right. Nothing had changed as far as our part was concerned. Yeah. So he had to raise from the dead. Had he just paid the price and died and gone and stayed in the grave, yeah. there would have been nothing accomplished yet. Yeah. So now he raised from the dead to show that the word was true. And what he, what he had told us was true. And what the word had, had promised had taken place. His body wouldn't see corruption. Within three days, I'll raise it up again. That all took place. That was to prove that the virgin birth was correct, that the sacrifice on Calvary was sufficient, the word was true, and now he was raised again. 
and you and I were still in our sins. If it would have stopped right there, we would have, left, we would have been left in our sins. We would not have been able to be freed because there's still an atonement that had to be made. Now, when Jesus spoke, he says, because I go to the Father, he wasn't just talking about changing his dwelling place. I'm going to leave this dimension, and I'm going to go back to my Father. I'm going to be a spirit again, and I'm going to look down on you guys down there and, and, and so forth and, and all these things. No, there was something extremely important. If I could say the most important thing had to be done when he went to his Father. All of these other things were making a preparation so that he could do what was needed up there. It had to be a perfect lamb. He was. It had to be a genuine death. He did. He rose from the grave. But now, just like the, the high priest from the, uh, the, the Hebrews there, the children of Israel, would take a lamb without blemish. They would slay the lamb. But then they had to take the blood of that lamb and go into the holiest of holies and sprinkle that judgment seat to make it a mercy seat. That's what took place. That's what took care of the sins. Until the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, we were still bound in our sins. The lamb had come, he'd been slain, the blood was there, but now there was only one person that could actually take that blood and enter into that place and sprinkle it and accomplish the great work of atonement. See, we, we, we focus on those other parts that we don't really think too much about what's taking place. When he went to his father... When he made the atonement, I want to speak on that this morning. So, when he said, I'm going to my father, he was talking about doing his high priest work of making the atonement. Now, in the message calling of Abraham, Brother Branham is talking about uh, the sacrifice. Remember how that those, the, the covenant there with, with Abraham where he cut those animals in half and they split them apart and then there was a deep sleep came over uh, Abraham and that light came and passed. You know the story. That was the evidence, he says, the sacrifice representing the atonement that God would require. And so in that same message, after Brother Branham goes through that in quite detail, he says this, what are you trying to do, Brother Branham? In other words, why are you giving us all of this information about the covenant and the atonement and so forth with Abraham? He says, what are you doing this for? He says, get you to a place where you can see what God has done for you. And I realized that I didn't really appreciate what God had done for me, and I'm sure I still don't. But I, I, it's, it's taken a whole different level since I got into this subject and could see a little bit more bits and pieces. And so, my goodness, what the, what the Lord did for me was just so far beyond what I'd ever understood to that time or even imagined. So I'm going to just, again, take some high, high points here. All of these could take a lot more time to develop, but I, I want to just plant some seeds. And I, as a minister, I really like to encourage people that take some time and dig for yourself. Don't just come to church and take some minister's word. You know what? Even you come to, tape, to church and listen to a tape, you still need to dig for yourself. It needs to be a personal walk and hungering and thirsting and studying and feeding on the word. So I like to try to encourage people that they're hungry. I, gotta, I want to check that out for myself. But let's just start with the very basic idea of atonement. Now, I found that, like so many things, remember he says that... Um, um, there's two parts of, of God's deliverance where they come out of Egypt and they go into the promised land. Two distinct parts. And it's the same here with atonement. There's two parts to atonement. 
And we're familiar with one part, but the other part was one that I'd never considered. And that's what really gives some depth of, of, of meaning and real appreciation for what atonement's all about. But there's the, the first part, and I don't expect you to understand all these big words, whatever else, but just so that you know, it's called the expiation. That's where the penalty or the price of sin was paid. Atonement paid the price. It's been expiated. The next one is propitiation, which we know that word. But we don't really understand perhaps what that word means. It means to restore the relationship, the goodwill. And I liken it to this, all right? If we have an insurance, I, I have insurance, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow Levi's brand new whatever car that he has. And he's, I'd say, hey, Levi, I'd, uh, he's from my church, by the way, in case anybody's getting nervous, I might pick you out and call you there. It's, it's, it's the best, it's the newest, it's, it's $150,000, I mean, it's just wow. I sure like to drive that. And he says, I don't know. Okay, well, just, you be real careful. I don't want you messing up with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get out there, and I'm starting to do, and we call them cookies and donuts. I, I don't know. I'm U.S., and I get called on this one every time. Whatever they are, spinning circles out there, and man, crash into the, the, to the building next there and, and destroy that, that vehicle. Uh, but I've got insurance. I've got insurance. We'll get that car repaired. It'll be just as good as new. But my relationship with Levi, we got problems, don't we? Insurance cannot take care and restore a relationship. There's going to be, he's going to be upset with me because I didn't do what he said and I took advantage and all these things. So God in his atonement to make, he, he's paid the price of our sin, but he's also made a propitiation so that our relationship with him is perfectly restored. We are back in perfect fellowship with him. That's what the atonement accomplishes. That's even, if I could almost say it, I guess I don't know if I could, but it's maybe more important than the penalty of sin, but they're, they're both absolutely essential. One without the other doesn't really accomplish much. So that gives me a better idea of what atonement is really all about, why it's so important. All right? So now, again, just like Brother Branham asked that question, why are you doing this? He says, so that we can see what God has done for us. Well, Brother Branham says this. I find out that one of the greatest hindrances of the church has got today is that they're scared to death. He says, what are you scared about? That's what I'm wondering. If you'll just only realize that who you are. You don't know who you are. You don't know who that is sitting next to you. That's my goal this morning is that we can see better who we are, who we are. Now, I am and you are and we together, who we are. Not just in theory, but in a, in a more of a deeper revelation way. Jehovah Jireh says, the biggest fault that I can find with any of the churches, and especially the real church, we're not talking about those lukewarm others out there. We, we always like to, to draw the line, it's those guys out there, man, praise the Lord, that's not me. He says, the biggest fault I can find with any of the churches, and especially the real church that's born again, they don't know who they are. You don't realize what the privilege that God has given you. You're looking for something way off in some kind of millennium, but that's the one the devil's pulled over you. Now we are the sons of God. Not we will be, we are now. And every redemptive blessing that the Lord Jesus died for is our personal property right now. Because of the atonement. It's expedient for you that I go to my Father so that every one of these redemptive blessings that's in that covenant is now given to you. 
One more place, he said, oh, if the church only knew its position, it will one day. Then the rapture will go when it knows what it is. Now that brings it down to current times. That makes it extremely essential. We're all looking to go in the rapture. We've got to know who we are. And for that reason, I'm praying, Lord, I pray that this subject this morning will help us just a little bit further to see a little bit more of a glimpse of who we are because of what you've done for us. So I know much of what we have spoken and will speak is something that we know that. We've heard that. We're aware of it. But it goes so much deeper than that. This is a very commonly quoted quote, but we stop and don't continue on. comes from the church age book. He says, no man knows the things of God save the Spirit of God and he to whom the Spirit of God reveals them. We need to call on God for revelation more than anything else in the world. You heard that one before? Pray for revelation more than anything. Absolutely. We have accepted the Bible. We've accepted the great truths of it. But it still is not real to most people because the revelation by the Spirit is not there. The Word has not been quickened. So what we're asking is, God, we need revelation. I need the word that I know intellectually. I need it to be quickened to me. I need it to be something that has, been, has, has taken forth and is bringing the life that's in the word. Because we can read the word, we can listen to the word, we can think on the word. But without revelation, it's just like reading a newspaper. So it goes on, he says, it says that we are the very righteousness of God himself by being in Christ. It says that he, Jesus, became sin for us. It does not say he became sinful, but became sin for us, that by our union with him, we might become the righteousness of God. He says, if we accept the fact, and we must, that he literally became sin for us by his substitution for us, then we must also accept the fact that we, by our union with him, have become the very righteousness of God. And we all agree with that, but we don't grasp that. We need that quickened to us. We need that to become real. He says, to reject one is to reject the other. To accept the one is to accept the other. Now, we know the Bible says that it, it can't be denied, but the revelation of it is missing. So there's much that we would know and we would agree and we could say amen and we could get all excited about it. And we still might have the revelation missing. It's just something we know, we agree with, we believe it because we do. But it's got to go deeper than that. He says the revelation of it's missing. It is not real to the majority of God's children. It is just a good verse in the Bible, but we need to have it made alive to us. That will take revelation. That's why we need to call on God for revelation more than anything. We need the word of God. We need our relationship with God to be real, to be alive. And that's... Really, my goal, my purpose, Lord, if, if this subject will help us to, to, to draw closer and to, to be more sincere and to dig into that word and, and, and deepen our relationship with where, where you. Remember, on that day, he says, there's going to be many that will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these signs and wonders in your name? And what's he going to say? He says, depart me from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And that word know means a personal relationship where life is transmitted, like Adam knew his wife and, and she brought forth. We've got to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus where we know him and his life is given to us and we bear his fruit. That's what he's looking for. You might know his favorite, his favorite uh, color of socks. You might know what kind of dishes. And a person gets married and you, you know bits and pieces about one another and so forth. But that's still not what marriage is all about. It's to have a real relationship to bring forth life. 
And that's God's desire. He wants us to bear his fruit, his life. All right, now we're going to, uh, we're going to take just a little bit of a detour here for a moment, but it is still building towards kind of our final uh, uh, points that we want to get to. But I'm going to ask you a question. And everybody's nervous. Used to be a school teacher. Pop quiz time, everybody ready? It's not a trick question, but a serious question. I'm sure you all know the answer, but there will be very few that will have the courage to actually venture the answer. Do, do we, does man have power to heal? I heard a few answers. We all know what Brother Bam said. No, we have the authority, not the power. See, you knew that. But it's just like in school, everybody says, I don't know. There's got to be a reason why he's asking this. It can't be this obvious. Okay. Well, Brother Ram says that. Somebody says, you got power? No, but we got authority. That's it. Not power, but authority. We ain't got enough power to do nothing. So we're familiar with that. It is also written, and this is something I hadn't seen until I got into this subject. In the book of Mark, he called them the twelve, began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Yeah. Cast out many devils, anointed the oil of many that were sick, and healed them. Luke 9, he says he called the twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. So it appears like, well, what do you mean? He gave them power? And I want you to notice, he hasn't died on the cross. The atonement has not been made yet. He's given them power in that condition. I thought, my goodness, that's, that's kind of unusual. Well, Here's the quote that, that I came across that got me started on this whole subject of the atonement. It comes from Blind Bartimaeus, Alberta, Canada. It doesn't have a town, so I'm not sure where it was up here. But he says, now he never come and said he give us power to heal because we can't do it. Jesus gave them power to heal before the atonement was made. But after the atonement was made, the healing was settled forever. Now it's the individual's faith in that atonement that brings forth the results of healing. Amen. Amen. I hope you understand it clearly. No man today has any power to heal. I had never caught that before. Never even crossed my thoughts. But here, before the atonement was made, here's his disciples. I give you power. Go forth and, and, and cast out devils, heal the sick. And again, I'll be just as open as I can be. I felt a little bit cheated. Why can't I have that? Uh, No, I know my Lord knows best. There's got to be a reason. What I'm looking at there, it's not the best. Because it's progressing, God's plan. Higher all the time. So I thought, Lord, there, there's something here I'm missing. I don't, I, obviously, I don't have the proper appreciation and, and respect for God's provision through his atonement. Before the atonement, look, I'm going to give you power to do this. But after the atonement, all the healing, every redemptive blessing, everything is all in that atonement. It's there in the atonement for you. I thought, Lord, I've just kind of taken that for granted. It's just a word that we sing. In songs, this, that, but I don't really grasp what the atonement actually is. So I went and, and did some real digging, and my goodness, it just opened things up for me. So I want to make this point, too. So here you have the disciples sent out with power. And yet, they came back with that one epileptic boy and his father, 
and said, Lord, we, we can't cast this one out. And Jesus cast it out, no problem. And they said, well, why couldn't we do it? He says, because of your unbelief. So even though he gave them power, they still had to have faith. When God made provision with a brass serpent, they had to believe. Look, and they had to believe when they looked. That water of the pool of Bethesda, they had to have faith. So whatever God does, it's always based on faith. So even when he gave them power, they still had to have faith. And because they didn't have sufficient faith, even the power that he gave him was not sufficient. All right? So now in questions and answers on Genesis, he says, Jesus baptized the disciples, his disciples. So, but before he could send them out, he said, sanctify them, Father, through the truth. Thy word is the truth. Now, how are we sanctified? Justified by faith. Sanctified through the blood. Sanctify them. The blood hasn't been shed. So he gave them power before the atonement. Now here he is sanctifying them before the atonement's been made. See, there's a lot more going on that I ever, ever considered. So he says, sanctify them, Father, through the truth. Thy word is the truth. And he was the word even before the atonement was made. In other words, as a preview, Father, of my shed blood, I sanctify these. Wow. I like that. He says, he gave them power against unclean spirits, and they went out and cast, they cast out devils. So without a question, there were certain things that, that, that God did before the atonement as a preview and looking forward to as a type of what was coming and, and all kinds of things. But again, the focal point is after the atonement's here. Everything has been driving and focusing to that point. So this was the answer to my question. It comes from the message of Abraham. He says, now divine healing is not on the same basis as salvation. Divine healing was included in the atonement, truly. The old atonement had divine healing, and the new one is the much better than the old one. Oh, so you gave power to them in the, under the old atonement of the law, but this new atonement is much better. All right, Lord, I, I, I believe that. I'm all ears, but I need to know how. I, I just quicken that to me is my prayer. So he says, so if it's better, it's got to be better in every way. Amen. Salvation of the soul, and you become a new creature, eternal life. You don't have eternal health by healing, but it's an attribute. It's the earnest of your resurrection. So this new atonement has eternal life. Once you've believed and have come to Christ through, a, through a, like the, the prescription of Acts 2.38, we have passed from death to life. There's no going back. It's accomplished. We're not waiting in paradise for the sacrifice. No, we are recipients and, and we are blessed by the results of Calvary. And we have eternal life. We, are, we, we receive the Holy Ghost. We are sealed. Nothing can take that from us. Yet healing is still temporal. Because we're waiting for the change of our body. That's yet future, the day of redemption. So until then, we have, the, we have the, the healing part of the atonement, but it's not quite on the same basis as salvation because the salvation is permanent. Once and for all, it's finished. This is just the earnest thing. There's a, there's a resurrection coming. There's a resurrection coming. Don't lose hope. And so we will be healed. We'll get sick again. And we'll get healed, and some, one day we'll pass away. But that healing is to remind us the atonement's been made just like you've been saved. There's coming a day when, when even this body's going to be redeemed and it's going to be without sin. It will be, it will be immortal once again. 
So now we come to the time of Christ's resurrection. So on that resurrection morning, and the women came out there to, to go to the grave, they wanted to do what was needful for the body of Christ because they didn't have the time to properly prepare it there because of Sabbath. So now here they are the morning after Sabbath. And they come in the door, the stone, to the tomb is opened, and the tomb is empty. Now they're heartbroken. They assumed that probably the authorities removed it or something just to one last uh, disrespectful thing to do to, to Jesus and to his disciples and so forth, and just wondering, well, what to, you know, what's happened? They're heartbroken, and they see who they thought was the gardener. And then they recognize, no, that's the Lord. And so here Mary recognized, Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. She knew who it was. Jesus saith unto her, touch me not. I always thought, why? What's the big deal? I mean, it's just, I thought, that's a good trivia thing. I had no concept as to why that was essential. What was taking place? It wasn't some little inconsequential thing. It was essential. It was part of this plan of God, the atonement as it unfolds. So he said, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. It's expedient for you that I go to my Father. But at this point, I have been virgin born. I have died and shed the blood of an innocent one. I have resurrected from the grave. But don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. There's something yet crucial that has to take place before you can even touch me. In The Mighty Conqueror, Brother Adam says this, his earthly work was finished. At the resurrection, he proved everything he said. Now he's got another work to do that the world knows little about. Now that's the truth, Lord. I don't know much about this. His next work in his ascension after he's risen from the dead, after he's already here on earth and proving himself alive by infallible proofs that he's doing the same thing that he did when he's here in flesh. There's so little spoke about of this ascension. It's one of the greatest days when he ascended up. I would have thought the resurrection morning would have been, no, but this ascension, he said, one of the greatest days. Because all over the earth, since the day in the Garden of Eden that sin was committed, all heavens was shut off from mankind. Oh, I don't have time to get into it. But, but you know how that um, uh, in, in the Old Testament when, when Solomon built that temple and the, the atonement was, was made there every year and the, the prayers of the, of the, of the saints would, would go up in the offering of the incense and so forth. That was something to bring the prayers to heaven because the heavens were closed off. So he made a way that if you make this sacrifice and, and do this, that will be one way that I can hear your prayers. And so that's why he said, if you will look to this place, I'll hear your prayers. That's what Jonah did. That's what David did, or Daniel did, every, every three times a day. Because the atonement was being made there at that place, and that was so that their prayers could go up. So if I would pray with faith to that, then my prayers could be included. Never, never, never dreamed of that. Why was that? So he has another work. He says, one of the greatest days. He says, no man could see into glory. No man could understand because the power is just above us. It's been blocked off. So when he ascended, one of the things he did, he cut 
through all those powers of sin and unbelief and sickness and so forth, making a way where our prayers could go directly to heaven again. Now we pray in Jesus' name because he made a way. And it's not just that we add those words, Jesus' name, to our prayers. No, we've got to be in Jesus. I come in the name of the Lord Jesus. My wife would come in my name because we're married. We are one. She can sign it Holly Dirksen because she is. And as Christians, we've got to be Christians. We've got to be in Christ. Then we can pray in the name of Jesus Christ because I'm a part of him. And he made a way to where now my prayers can cut through all of this unbelief and doubts and the things that Satan would do to try to hinder us. It's open once again. That's part of what he accomplished when he ascended and went back to his father. But now I want to just take a moment here. And I didn't, I, I, just last night that this clicked for me, but in the Old Testament feasts, they had seven feasts. The sixth feast was the Day of Atonement. It was the most solemn, the most reverent, the most important of all seven feasts was the Day of Atonement. You had the feast of Passover, where they had to have that lamb that had been fully examined and had to be without spot or blemish that could be slain and that the blood could be applied to the door so that the death angel would pass. We're talking about the perfect plan of a, of a Christian work. We got to be born again. We have to have that blood applied to the doors of our hearts so that we are free from the sin. Then the second was the Feast of First Fruits. That's the, so, so Jesus died on Passover. He resurrected on the next feast, which was just the Sunday morning, the Feast of First Fruits. He was the First Fruits, showing how the rest of us will come the same way. We're part of the same harvest. So he came, there's, and that was essential for our walk with the Lord, for our relationship, for us to, to uh, get to the place that God has ordained us to be. We had to have that Passover lamb. He had to rise, and then we come to the Feast of Weeks which is a seven-day feast. And Brother Bram tells us that represents the seven church ages. So that this will be in effect for the whole seven church ages. Then we go 50 days later, we come to Pentecost, the fourth feast, all by itself. Those first three were all within eight days of each other. That fourth feast was all by itself. And it was representing, it was a harvest feast, as was Feast of Weeks, but this was the, one was a barley harvest, the next one was a wheat harvest. But this was the harvest feast, and this is where it was the same time when they left Egypt, and they came to the mountain, their Mount Horeb. Remember God said, bring him to this mountain? He says that this mountain will be a token to you. That's Exodus 17, I believe. And so they got to that mountain, and God came down and shook that mountain where they said, oh, we don't want God to speak to us. Speak to us through a prophet. Let Moses speak to us. You speak to him. Let him speak to us. And God said, that's good. That's what we'll do. But it was on that mountain that God wrote his laws on tablets of stone. That was 50 days after Passover. That was the type of what Pentecost would be. When the laws were written by God by his finger. Now the fulfillment was on the day of Pentecost where the finger of God wrote his laws on the tablets of our hearts. But you see this pattern unfolding through these feasts. Now we have the Holy Ghost that is, that is inside and we do these things not because of a legalistic obligation but because the Spirit in us, that's, it, it, just, it wants to do these things because it's his word, he wrote the word, he is the word and he's in us. So we come in his name in that manner. Then you come to the last three feasts, five, six, and seven. And the fifth one is the Feast of Trumpets. And it is a seven-day feast, or ten-day feast this time. It has one purpose, to call them to 
to, uh, to prepare their hearts, to consecrate themselves for the Day of Atonement. A 10-day feast just to get ready. The Day of Atonement, which is the all-important one's coming. You got to be ready. You got to prepare. A 10-day feast for that one thing. Then the Day of Atonement came because that's the day that the high priest would slay that lamb or that offering and would take it into the mercy seat and the sins of the nation were taken care of on that day. Without that day, they were still in their sins. There was no forgiveness or covering of sins. The Day of Atonement was the focal point, the most important thing in the Jewish walk with Jehovah. And then the last feast, which is Feast of Tabernacles, it's an eight-day feast. And Brother Ben said that eighth day, at the end of that feast, speaks of going into the millennium. Well, you see the, the whole thing of being born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, and then there's a day of redemption coming. Let me just, let me just detour here for just a second. How many's heard anything to do with this revival down at Asbury in Wilmore, Kentucky? Very striking. What's going on? I have to say, I believe it's genuine. I believe it's the real Holy Ghost moving there. Now, we do know the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And, and I've asked the people at home, I said, I, I will never speak against that. You can blaspheme the Holy Ghost if you ridicule something where it's the Holy Ghost actually moving. There's people, lives being changed. Delivered from drugs, delivered from suicidal thoughts, delivered from depression, all these things, their lives are totally changed. But I wonder how many of them will truly receive the Holy Ghost where then they'll let the Holy Ghost lead them into all truth, where they'll forsake clothes pertaining to a man after a woman or, or immodest dress and all the different things. See, the Holy Ghost will take you there. My own thoughts is I doubt there'll be very many that will, will go that far. Perhaps there'll be a few. I pray that there are. But it's something real. So I thought, what is this all about? And I know that there's a type in the Bible talking about the five and wise and five foolish virgins. And we spoke on this here at our church just the other day. That he says, they all went out to meet the bridegroom. They set out on their journey. And they all fell asleep. Wise and Foolish. And then the midnight cry came, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Wake up. Trim your lamps. And so they went, and then the foolish found, Well, I don't have oil. The wise had to wake up, and they had to trim their lamps. Brother Bram says, We are the wick. A believer is the wick. He says, One end is on fire for the Lord. The other end is dipped into the oil of the Holy Spirit, drawing it up there. But our lives can get smutted up, carboned up, and we have to keep trimming it off. We've got to die to ourselves, constantly asking the Lord for forgiveness when we make mistakes or this, that. We've got to keep our lives like that lamp, trimmed. So I was looking at this thing, and Brother Bram was talking about this, and he says, when the foolish virgin goes for the oil, he says, that's a sign. He says, it's time for us to trim our lamps. And I want to leave that with us here as a seed that I planted. I believe we're in lamp trimming time. It's no longer time we can just come to church and go through the motions. We need to make sure our life is worthy in his worthiness. That we are his righteousness. That we are living pleasing to him. A holy life. And if there's whatever it is, take the time. Let that word of God point it out. Shine the light on it. And let's trim those things that our light can burn brightly and clearly. 
it's lamp trimming time. I don't know how long that's going to go on. It's amazing what's going on there. And I'm praying that we'll have a revival similar in, in, in my life and in our group and in, in the message groups because I believe there's more promise for us. So I'm not trying to copy them or manufacture or build something, but I do know it's lamp trimming time. And I believe we're there. So this day of atonement was the holiest, most solemn of all the feasts. So here in Jesus' rose, Brother Brown said this, one of the greatest scriptures that's more neglected than any scripture I know of being preached on is the ascension of the Lord Jesus. We talk about his virgin birth. We talk about him being there before Pilate and all the trials he went through and his crucifixion and the wonderful the subject of his resurrection. And we don't really focus on the ascension much, do we? And he says it's one of the most greatest scriptures that's more neglected than any scripture I know of being preached on is the ascension of the Lord Jesus. What he did after his resurrection. Now he did not sit down on the tomb after his resurrection because his work wasn't completed. It wasn't finished. And the ones at the grave that morning were forbidden to even touch him. But that night they were bidden to come feel his hands. He forbid his mother to touch him. said, I have not yet ascended unto my father, my God and yours. And, and, and he had not yet, he would only ready to do his great high priest work at that time. He had just been anointed. So when he resurrected from the grave, the price had been paid, the, the atonement had been made in that sense, the, the blood was, was, was provided, proper blood that would be accepted of a sinless, blameless lamb. He was ready now, he'd just been anointed now to do his great high priest work. All of this was getting the things ready so he could do that all-important task. Just like the high priest did on the Day of Atonement, the greatest of all the days. Because that's when the people's sins would be atoned for. So he resurrected from the dead. Our sins were still not yet atoned for. Well, he says, no, you can't even touch me yet. Now, what's that all about? Well, I learned that I always thought the high priest went in one day, one time a year, he went into the, the holiest of holies. He went in twice on that day. The first time, he had to offer a sacrifice. First, he had, to be, he had to take off his regular garments. He had to be properly washed and anointed. He put on the proper garments, white linen garments of the high priest. Then he had to make a sacrifice for his sins and his family and he took the blood from that sacrifice with the incense of the uh, prayer offering, whatever, and went into the Holy Holy, and he sprinkled that for his sins because he would not be worthy to do that for the sins of the nation because he would be in the same condition they were. So he went in, then he came back out, and now there was two sacrifices made. One of them was the scapegoat. One was slain, and they would take the blood from that slain one, sprinkle it on the scapegoat, and would send it out into the wilderness. Carrying our sins far away is another type that we get that. So now as he, as he uh, goes through this process, once again, he goes into the same Holy Spirit, same day, only one day. And now he makes atonement with that blood for the sins of the people. So now Jesus had been made sin for us. He had to be approved by the Father before he could be our propitiation, before he could make atonement for us. 
He wasn't sinful, but he had been made sin. So much that the Spirit of God left him there in the garden. He died a man. My father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? He died a man. Perfect, but he was sin in God's eyes. Our sin. And so when a leper, which a leprosy represents sin, when a leper was, was delivered or healed from sin, he had to show himself there at the temple to be approved before he could then step back into society, into his family life, and so forth. So there was something to do with this where, where Christ had to go and he cut his way through as he went up because they couldn't touch him that morning. I would say that afternoon on the, way, the road to Emmaus, He'd already been up there and ascended to his father. He'd been approved. Now he was sent back. Oh, there's, I, I can't get into that. Sorry. Um, that'll take another half hour. But at any rate, as he's going on the road to Emmaus, they recognize this is the city. Remember, he did something nobody else could do that way. And then their eyes were opened and so forth. Then he appears to them as they made their way back to Jerusalem. And he said, touch me. Because he'd gone to his father. I found also that you go into... Um, Leviticus 16, particularly. When that high priest was going to go in on that, on that um, day of atonement, remember in, in the days of the, of the tabernacle, which was a type, same pattern as the temple, they had that great outer wall, tent wall, that, that the sacrifice, the altar, the brazen altar was in there, the laver was in there and so forth. They brought the animals, the sacrifice took place there and so forth. But on the day of atonement, only the high priest could enter even into that part. Lest anybody would touch him and disqualify him then from being able to enter into that holiest of holies. I didn't know that. Well, it sure fits the pattern there. Don't touch me because I have not yet fulfilled my atonement work. There's the type. Here's the fulfillment. So they were not allowed in the tabernacle courtyards with the high priest lest he be, be defiled by their touch. So in the same manner, Jesus ascended twice. One on the resurrection day. Then now he was down here approved of God. And now he could teach and, and, and instruct and make promises and encourage for 40 days. And then he makes his second ascension. And that's so important for us. That's where he went to atone for our sins. Okay? Now, the disciples were actually given two commissions. When he sent them forth and gave them power, he gave them commission to go and to heal the sick and, and, and cast out devils. They were commissioned. But now that the atonement has been made, or was going to, the price had been paid, but hadn't fully been made yet, he gives them a second commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You're going to be witnesses to me. See, again, there's a commission that goes with what God has for us to do. But just as Jesus gave them power before the atonement to go into Israel there and cast out devils and so forth, before they could fulfill this commission, they also had to have power given to them. But now this is going to be power through the atonement. Not the same way, manner that, that was done here. This was a preview. This was in type. It was pointing to what was coming, but this is so much greater. 
So, Luke 24 says, These are the words which I spoke unto you which, while I was yet with you, and that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. And he says, They opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He says, it's written, behoove Christ to suffer, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. You can't fulfill this commission. It's your commission, but you got to be empowered, endued with power. If he hadn't given them power before, they couldn't have gone, nothing would have happened. And if we come here without being endued with the power of the Holy Ghost, nothing will happen. All of the power, all the promises, all the blessings are in the atonement, and it's the Holy Ghost. We're going to see really is that atonement. So now, in uh, questions and answers, 64, he says, Dear Brother Branham, what is the difference when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, and when they had to go to the upper room to tarry? When did he breathe on them? During that 40 days that he was with them? I'm going to get ahead of myself. He could not give them the Holy Ghost at that time. It hadn't been given yet. But he breathed on them to receive you the Holy Ghost. He's commissioned them, but tarry in Jerusalem until you're, you're going to be filled with power. So promises were made, but looking for the fulfillment yet. He said it was a promise he gave them, breathed upon them his promise, said receive ye the Holy Ghost. It was a promise. They went to the upper room to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. Contending for the faith. He was to ascend up to God before he descended again in the form of the Holy Ghost. He was going to make the atonement, then return in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now, if the focal point of the, all the feast days was the day of atonement. And the focal point of Jesus' ministry was the atonement that he would make with his blood. He's the high priest bringing his blood as the Lamb of God. He sprinkles it and makes it a mercy seat. That's the focal point of everything that God has been doing so that he could send his spirit back to endue us with power. That's the purpose of it. It's not a secondary thing or a, well, isn't that nice? It's the whole purpose. Great warrior David says, when God can never get the church together again in one cord, so he can endue it with power from on high. Power to what? To believe his word. We read that quote. We know the scriptures, but we need to call on God for revelation. We need to really have the revelation of his word so we can really believe his word. Not intellectually. We need to believe it from the heart. That's what takes every promise of God, puts it into operation. Whether it's healing or the rapture, it's going to take that kind of faith. So this power that he wants to endue the church with is the power to believe his word. Have faith in God. He says, Jesus said in Acts 1 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon you. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, then you'll have power of faith to believe. Now, what is the evidence, the only true evidence of the Holy Ghost? Speaking in tongues. No, that was the Pentecostal's mistake. Love. Well, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but, but Christian science can love and put many to shame. There's only one infallible evidence, Brother Brandon said, and that is when that spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, says amen to every word. Doesn't matter what that word is. If it steps on my toes, if it means I've got to repent, if I've got to turn from something, the word says it, 
That's right. Oh, God, forgive me. I say amen to that. That's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. That's the power of the Holy Ghost is to be able to believe every word. That's what we've got to be endued with, that kind of power, so that we can take every word of God. We're not going to take this part and set this part away. Well, this was for another time. No. When you're endued with power, you believe every word. And it's yours because that atonement power is within you. The very Spirit of God. So now we get to the kind of the current and maybe the climax of it a bit. We come to Ephesians 4. Why don't you turn in your Bibles with me? We'll read from Ephesians 4, 7, down through 13. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Every one of us. Okay, so you're included this morning. I'm included. Wherefore, because of that, he saith, when he ascended, when I go to my father, it's expedient that I go to my father. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Let me stop there for a moment. What does that mean? Well, those that were waiting in paradise were still in captivity. So he led those that were in paradise that were captive, and he led them, they, they ascended with him. You can see it more clearly in a, in a lot of the different translations, but once you see it and you see what the Greek word means, it became a lot more clear. How do you lead captivity captive? I mean, captivity is, is it's, it's not a noun. It's not something you can get your hand. It's, it's a state of being. But he's talking about those that were in captivity. He led them on high. So he said he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So when he ascended, it was so that he could then send his grace and send gifts. He had to ascend so that he could do that. He didn't just go up there to sit up there and say, okay, now we're going to watch things unfold down there. Now, now they're believers, they're Christians, they're free from their sins. You know, carry on, guys. No, he says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be in you and I'm going to be working through you. I couldn't do that until the price for sin was paid, but then there had to be the atonement made so that it was brought in effect for you. Now I can, this is what, everything has been gearing towards this day. I want to be back in fellowship in, in inhabiting my children. Where they, and, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me stop there. So then, verse 9, now he that ascended, what is it but he that also descended first? He went to the grave, to the lower parts of the earth. Now he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. That is, that is getting canceled out by many people today. And I agree, not every pastor, not every apostle, not every evangelist is, is maybe true or might not be preaching according to the word, but they are ordained of God. They were a gift that God sent. His whole purpose was to make atonement for us so that he could send gifts and come back and work those gifts through us. 
and we're taking that away from him. That's the whole point of his sacrifice at Calvary and his resurrection. Everything was for that purpose. And now we're saying, oh, that doesn't matter. It just hurts my heart when I realize what they're doing. They are, they are cutting out the very effect and purpose of what God was doing. Now that does not make any of the fivefold infallible or perfect. No, sir. We need to constantly give them the word test according to the vindicated word of the hour and of the Bible. But that was his purpose. He wanted to work not just in the preacher up here, but in you. Every one of you has a purpose and a ministry in the body of Christ. When you take the preacher out of the pulpit, you're actually cutting yourself out of God's plan. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And that's where we get nervous. Well, how dare you think that you could perfect us? Well, I sure can't. But first of all, that word perfecting doesn't mean perfect as, as in never make any mistakes. Because that's till the day of redemption when that happens. But that perfecting there means the completing. They've reached the goal that they were ordained to reach. So God had a purpose for us to come from here to here. And then when the last one comes in, then he's going to change our bodies and there's going to be a resurrection and rapture. But to reach this place... He included the fivefold ministry, the nine spiritual gifts, the body of Christ, all working together to help bring to a completion, to bring to a maturity, to the place that they've been ordained to reach. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And we spoke last summer extensively on the unity of the spirit versus the unity of the faith. We're so busy trying to build a unity of faith, believe it the way I believe it, and we end up with divisions and death and discouragement. But when we're born of God, because he ascended on high, he made atonement, sent his spirit back with gifts, we are all of the same spirit. We have different gifts, different ministries, different purposes. We're at different levels and stages of our growth and maturity. But we're all of the same family. We have the same father, the same spirit living in us. Till we all come, because there is a unity of faith coming, but that's his job to do. We got to make sure we have the unity of the spirit now, so that when he brings the unity of faith, we will be one that can receive it. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There it is. The measure, the stature, the fullness, the maturity of Christ. That's the perfection he's talking about. The completion. Too many today, and I run into it all the time, they are, and, and have you ever noticed how that the natural types are spiritual? You look at what's going out there in the world today, it's like, oh my goodness. You wonder how much longer before the Lord comes, the cup of iniquity is surely flowing over. Cancel culture. Boy, I mean, if they can dig up an email that you sent 20 years ago, whew, Get rid of this guy. There's no place for him. It's, it's the unforgivable, unpardonable sin. And they cancel. The same thing goes on in the message. Oh, look at this. They did this. And we just, ooh, no place for them. Where's the grace of God? I, I need the grace of God in my life all the time, every day. Well, forgive my sins as I forgive those that sin against me. And so without realizing it, when we cancel out the fivefold, they don't realize what they're doing when they do that. And when they make the fivefold God's permissive will, 
No, that's not. That was the main point of the atonement. It was all for that purpose. And now you're saying, well, that's, that's, that's secondary. It's permissive. And it just, no. <laughs> it's the focal point. Zachary and Melody got married yesterday so that they could have the reception yesterday at that pioneer cabin. That's the whole point of getting married, so you can have a reception. Wasn't it wonderful hors d'oeuvres there, the, the appetizers, and it just, it was a great time. That's what marriage is all about. We know better than that. But that's what they're doing to the gifts that God has, has given to us. And it's, it's not just he gave us and said, okay, go have fun with it. He says, no, I'm going to be dwelling in you and I'm going to use those gifts through you. That's the goal that he's had. That's the whole purpose of this wedding we have with him. So they don't realize that when they, when they set aside the fivefold ministry, and I say that respectfully because I know they're the ones that, that I've been in contact with, I know they're doing it with good intentions and thinking, but they're, they're not rightly dividing the word. And they're missing the most important part of, of our atonement. All right. Queen of Sheba. Today, Father, it's a greater day than it was the day that when you finished us, visited us here on earth in a body of flesh. For in those days, the real atonement had not yet been made. You could have walked with Jesus for three and a half years. You would not have been atoned for yet. God dwelt in one man, and that was his son, Jesus. And now, after the atonement's made, the whole ransom church can bosom God. I like that phrase. Oh, yeah, I've been born again. I'm bosoming God. He is in my heart, in my bosom. I mean, he is dwelling here. I'm under his control. Oh, yes, I still, my body still struggles. I still have temptation. I make mistakes. But he's there on that mercy seat, still atoning for it, still interceding for it. But I am his righteousness because he became sin for me and I accepted his way. I've repented. I've ex received that salvation, that redemption, that atonement. But now, when he was here on earth in a perfect virgin-born body, God could only dwell in one temple, one flesh. But now because of the atonement, the whole ransom church of God can bosom God. Not just the fivefold, not just the prophet, but the whole family of God. It's all of us. Okay? Fundamental foundation for faith. He says, what did Christ redeem us for? Why didn't he just make you the atonement and say, now, there's no need of giving them deep powers. There's no need in making this man a son of God. There's no need of doing that. I will just ask him to believe it and write his name in the book of heaven, and that'll settle it. Praise the Lord. They're free from sin. They won't die now. They'll have eternal life. Work's been accomplished. Huh. But he gave us these redeemed blessings that we might operate the work of God by the energy of the Holy Spirit. The atonement was just not to free us from our sin, although it did that perfectly, but it was so that he could operate, do his works through us by the Holy Ghost. That's the atonement. Listen to this. Jesus, this comes why I'm against organized religion. Jesus bore in his body suffering that he might be the right kind of a mediator. He knows what you go through. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows he didn't fall, but he knows what it is to be tempted. I mean, truly knows. 
He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to face depression. He knows what it is, just all the things that we go, he knows. So he can be the right kind and correct mediator for every one of us in every situation we ever find ourselves in. Because he being God made flesh so he could suffer. He could feel the pains of infirmity. And that's why he come to make an atonement. And in this, he commissioned his church to continue his work. See, when he was here and he died and everything else, his work was not done. Here we are thousands of years later. We weren't even born yet. And we needed that atonement. We needed that manifestation of God in my life. But if he had stayed just in that one man, how is he going to be able to go to all the corners of the earth, to all the millions of people through all the thousands of years and reach each one individually? No more than Brother Branham could have them come up and could discern each one individually. He did that to show that God's presence is here. God's word is true. If you'll believe, you can have the same healing that this person has. And that discernment didn't heal him, but it just identified that God was alive and fulfilling his word. God didn't send that messenger to individually deal with each person. Nor did he send Jesus Christ to individually have a conference and a, and a visit with each person and lay hands on them. No. He made the atonement so that he could come in his spirit and that lick of fire would come upon and dwell in each one of his children. Now this, this is quite a statement here. It comes from Jesus arose. And God ascended on high, led captive captive, gave gifts unto men, and he said in the church, first apostles, second prophets, after that teachers, evangelists, and pastors. Is that right? God set them in the church for the perfecting of the church, that the people might know that he is not dead, that he lives on and will forever. And he's in his church today doing his high priest work working through his people as they yield themselves to him for the same purpose. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we think, oh, yes, we'll have the work of Jesus through us, but the high priest work, that was, that was over here. No, no, it's his high priest work that he's going to work through us. That's quite a statement. This is your captain speaking. We're entering a time of... Turbulence, make sure your seatbelts are fastened. The Word of God has so many things that are just beyond our ability to, to even imagine. Again, I'm going to ask the question. The works that I do shall you do also and greater. Now, how many knows what that means? Means the more. But it is also written. See, we, we get something and we think, that's it, I got it. And we don't even have the common decency, I guess, or the whatever, saying, Lord, I just, I, I just, I want to see all that you have to say. We need to search those scriptures. So there's more to it. That's the main focus. In most places, that's exactly what Brother Bram said. It, it's, it's, I mean, he, he raised the dead. He calmed the sea. I mean, he, you know, what are we going to do greater in that sense? He said, but, but we'll do more because he's not working just through one man. He'll work through many throughout the ages. So that's the main focal point of that promise. But there's more to it. And we've already touched on it. 
So Brother Bram says, Jehovah Jireh, he says, I know the word is greater there, but if you look at it, it's more. Uh, another place he says, for I go to my father, for when he was here, he was in one man. Now he can be all over the world in every man that will let him in. All right. Revelation of Jesus Christ, not the church age book, but the series. There comes a time that God, through the Holy Ghost, reveals Christ back in the church with the power and demonstrations of healing the sick and making the signs that he said would follow the believers come to pass. Then Satan turns over in his bed. He does something about it. Until that time, Satan don't care how much church you're doing. He don't care how much. He doesn't care what you believe as long as it's just intellectual. But when the signs begin to follow them that believe, that's when he turns over and says, okay, we got to get going here. He said, but when Christ reveals to you that he is the Son of God and the works that he did, you do also. Not some other works, but the same works. He that believeth in me, St. John 14, 7. He that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he also do the same works and greater than this. Because Christ cannot preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost would be greater. Jesus could not preach that. He could not give them the Holy Ghost. He breathed on them, gave them a promise. But he could not do that. Because it had not yet been given. He had not yet gone to his Father. It's expedient for me that I go to my Father. I've got something that needs to be accomplished and it can only be done. If I go to my Father, I've got to finish that atonement. So he said, because Jesus, Christ cannot preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost, would be greater. He could not bring it to them because the Holy Ghost hadn't yet been given. But when Jesus came and sacrificed his life and the Holy Ghost returned, then they, his children, us, they could impart eternal life to the people. That's the greater. On the day of Pentecost, when, when Peter said, in answer to their question, men and brethren, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That was greater than what Christ could do. It was Christ's provision. It was making way for Christ himself to come. But Jesus Christ in that body of Jesus couldn't do it. Because he had to ascend and make the atonement. And now he's going to work through you and I. It's still him. It's still his works. It's the high priest work being done through his body, through his church. He says, "There's that's the greater. So he says, but the signs and wonders, Jesus plainly said in Mark 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. How far? All the world. How many? Every creature. Long as the gospel is being preached, these signs shall follow them that believe. And that goes until this body is changed and a resurrection takes place. Nothing's going to happen to take that away. That's God's plan. That's what everything's been building for. It's not like we've, we've come this far and saying, okay, now we're just going to leave it here. We're going to do something different. Everything's been building to this. And this is what's going to take us all the way to the very change. Resurrection, the change of the bodies of those that are alive and remain. So he goes on, he says, When that becomes a revelation, brother, you're near the kingdom then. On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Because the man or the woman that's ever been in that back desert alone like Moses was, and the revelation of God be made manifest to him through the Holy Ghost, there's nothing can shake him. He's just as sound and solid as he can be. Satan hates revelation. He don't like it at all. It upsets his plans. You understand why we see the devil working so ferociously out there? You see it in the natural, you see it in the spiritual side. It's all taking place. He hates revelation. He knows what's coming. 
the message that day on Calvary. We're just about done here. He says, now notice, the greater works was to have the power in the church, not only to heal the sick by prayer, cast out devils by prayer, but to impart eternal life to believers. The Holy Ghost was coming and given into the hands of the church to impart life. That's what Calvary meant. It took, oh, I like this. This is where you need your seatbelts. It took stooped, degraded men and women. That's you and me. And I've had some tell me, well, how could we, how, how could we take your ministry? Who are you? You're, you're, you're not perfect. You're not fat. You know, no, I'm not. But a perfect God made an atonement for me and, and has brought me in to his purpose. It took stooped, degraded men and women and lifted them up into a place to be sons and daughters of God, to heal the sick and to impart eternal life. You and I, not limited to the fivefold, not limited to Brother Branham, to all of those that he dwells in. He's lifted us up into those realms so that he can work through us and impart eternal life. Now, it's not our power, but it's his power in a surrendered vessel. That's why it's lamp trimming time. If we want to have the power of God work through us, we got to make sure we got nothing that's going to hinder. We took the, the thought of, of uh, Elisha there in the wilderness where he said, dig the valley full of ditches. And I like this so much because he says, the water is already on its way. So you're not going to hear the wind. You're not going to have a rainstorm. There's not going to be thunderclouds come up. But back in the desert there in the wilderness is still that rock that was smitten that brought forth water for the children of Israel. That rock is still there. And there's water coming forth. It's headed this way. Dig the valley full of ditches. Their digging didn't bring the water of God. But no, it was on the way. And they had to be ready for it so that they could receive and benefit from it. What would you do if the water came and you're still sleeping in your sleeping bag and it's just wet all around you and then you missed it? Dig the ditches. Get rid of all those old logs. Brother Ram says, all those spooks. I like that one a lot. That spooks, he says, where we are afraid of one another. Because that will hinder what the Holy Ghost can do in my life if I'm afraid of this and afraid of that and not suspicious about this. No, we're brothers. Well, they don't believe this. They don't, you know what? But he's been born again and God's leading him in all truth. I don't see everything just perfectly either, but God's leading me into all of his truth and I just trust him. We're brothers. So get those spooks out of there. Get those logs out of there. Get the worldliness out of there. Get the sin, the unbelief, the iniquity. Get them out of our lives because the water is coming. And it's lamp trimming time. It's ditch digging time. Stooped, degraded men. Let me put my name in there just right now. There it is. What's your name? <laughs> That's all of us. The devil said, yes, but you're a stoop, degraded man. I mean, how could God? Yes, praise the Lord, that identifies me. <laughs> oh, my. He says, how much greater is it to say to this sick woman laying here, I can pray, pray a prayer of faith and she'll be healed. That's a great thing. That's what he was doing then. But he said, greater than this shall you do. I'm going to give you power, not only to raise them up for a while, because that healing is only temporary, 
How, he says, but to give him eternal life, which will be eternal forever. Poor, blind, wretched people, how do you miss that? Don't you see what the greater thing is? That's the greatest thing that could ever happen was to impart eternal life to people. What is eternal life? The life that he lived, the life that was in him, impart that to others. Can a man do that? A son of God can. Jesus said, whosoever sins you remit to them, they are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain to them, they are retained. And we can stop right there and we can take the Roman Catholic Church turn off. And you come to the priest. And for a certain amount of money, we can, we can remit your sins. We can do that. No, 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 no. The key is what Peter preached. Repent. We can tell somebody, you need to repent. You need to recognize you're a sinner. You need to recognize that God loved you so much that he came and made a way, but you've got to recognize yourself as a sinner. Repent of those sins. Accept his atonement and enter in and let him be your Lord and identify with him through water baptism and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, you can also remit. Why? By going and you're a witness of these things. You can use the same key that Peter used. You can preach the same gospel. You can, you can share the same truth. He said, there's where the Catholic Church and many others made their big mistake. They go out and say, I forgive your sins. That wasn't it. How did they get sins forgiven in the Bible? Peter answered that question on the day of Pentecost. They said, what can we do to be saved? How can we get this that you all got? He laid down the prescription. He told them what to do. He said, repent every one of you towards God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What for? The remission of your sins. There's the greater works. How many of you preachers this morning, how many of you listening to my word on magnetic tape are willing to go to Calvary this morning and look what God did there for you, forsake your denominational creeds and preach the gospel? It's in your lap now. What are you going to do with it? Why? Repentance and remission of sins must be preached in his name to all the world beginning at Jerusalem. But make sure you've been endued with power. Make sure you've got the Holy Ghost because you cannot be a witness of it if you don't have that witness in you. You cannot preach the word unless you've got the word in you that's speaking through you. And it will always be in line with God's vindicated word. And so when we go forth, they give us the word test. Because I do make mistakes. I can be wrong. And if I ever am, I want somebody to bring it to me. I'll make it right. We'll, wherever I have to go, whatever I have to do, I'll say, hey, I was wrong. I missed this. I, I didn't mean that. Whatever. I want to be true. I want to be right. But when God reveals something, you can stand on it. And we're all commissioned. These signs shall follow the preachers, the fivefold ministers. How many believe? These signs shall follow you. In my name, they'll cast out devils. In my name. It's the power of God. He gave them the power over here before the atonement. But now it's in the atonement. And we are the atoned. And the power of atonement is now in us. And that's the power that gives us the power to believe God's word, to say amen to every word, to act on that word, and to see the fruits and the manifestations of the word through our vessel. It's his power. The vine does not bear fruit. The branches do. But the branch has to be living off of that vine. And the life comes through the vine that produces the fruit. But that's our calling. That's our purpose. It's in your lap now. What are you going to do with it? Oh my, there's other places where he says the same thing. So we can impart eternal life by remitting sins by what? Preaching the same gospel that Peter did. The same key. 
That's what opened the keys to the kingdom. Let me read just a couple more quotes here if the musicians want to come. I have no idea what time it is. Just about supper time, I guess. When I see Brother Dwayne come in, I'll know that it's time for me to get out. In the message, God commissioning Moses the prophet. Remember what Elisha was looking for? Double portion, wasn't it? He says, a chariot of fire come down and parted them. And the old prophet jumped on the chariot and went up in the rapture as Jesus went up in the resurrection. Ascended. And when he went up, then as he was going up, he pulled off his coat and threw it down. He ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. We have the same picture there with this. Pulled off his coat and threw it down. Elisha picked up his coat. Picked up his coat. When we have those gifts come upon us, when we're born again, see the Holy Ghost, we've picked up his spirit. His gifts operating through us. It's his mantle. He says, a very, Elisha picked up his coat, put it over his own shoulders, walked down to the Jordan. A very beautiful type of Christ being taken up, baptized with the Holy Ghost, and when he went up into glory, he sent back the Holy Ghost for us to wear. The church is baptized with the mantle of Christ. These things that I do, a double portion? Yes. What? These things that I do shall you also, and greater than this will you do, for I go to my Father. Is that right? A double portion. Pulled off his mantle and, and folded it and let it drop back down to the disciples at Pentecost. And brother, sister, if, you, if we've got the Pentecostal blessing, then in the name of the Lord Jesus, let's walk down there and strike her. Where is the God that was on Jesus Christ? Where is the power of his resurrection? Now we still do that with a humble spirit, a humble nature. Not lifted up or proud. It's, it's not us. We, but, but we've been commissioned. We've been sent forth. Lord, I'm going in your name. What would you have me to do? Looking for the opportunity, Lord, and, and just, you don't cast your pearls before swine, but there's people that need to hear, need to be ministered to, certainly within our body. But out there in the world, there's, there's those that haven't heard the gospel yet. So he's going to use us as witnesses because we've been endued with power. We've been commissioned. We've been sent forth. Because he went to the Father so he could work through us. And we, his church, are continuing his High priest work. That just, that totally took me by surprise. I would never have had the audacity to venture that. The hype, no, no, that's his. No, it's his, but that's why he came, so he could do it through me and through you. What a wonderful thing that is. So he goes on in other places. If you want that double portion tonight, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Elijah had to keep his eyes on Elijah. Today, he says, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. If you ever get your eyes off of him and start looking to, to, to yourself or any other man, whatever it is, you're going to miss that double portion. You're going to miss the provision of God. Keep your eyes on him, and then his promise is yea and amen. Let me read one last quote, and it's one we've already read, but just to circle back and to remind you of it. That's that quotation from the Church Age book. He says, no man knows the things of God save or accept the Spirit of God, and he to whom the Spirit of God reveals them. We need to call on God for revelation more than anything else in the world. What we've been speaking on today, 
you know what, we can, we can get excited, we can say, wow, that's, that's amazing, and, and we can, it can still be intellectual. But we need it to be quickened, made alive in our hearts. We need to call on God for revelation more than anything else in the world. We have accepted the Bible. I believe we've accepted what I was speaking of because I, I read you the quotes. You believe them, I believe them. We've accepted it. We've accepted the Bible. We've accepted the great truths of it, but it still is not real to most people. Because the revelation by the Spirit is not there. The Word has not been quickened. And that's what we need. Lord, make it live in me. Make it real to me. Reveal it to me, Lord. Make it, quicken it to me. I don't want to just read your Word. I want to have it, I want to have it in me. I do believe it is lamp trimming time. It's time for His Word to be quickened that we can be about our Father's business. Whatever He is going to unfold, we got to make sure we're in the right place, in the right fellowship. That branch has to be in communication, in, in being, drawing its life from that vine. we got to have our wick dipped into that Holy Spirit and burning, and then let's keep it clean. I'm thankful for the provision that He's made. He's not only to go there and sprinkle it once to make atonement, in the Old Testament, they had to come every year and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. He went once and for all, but his corporal body is still on that same seat. Why? Because I need his grace. I need forgiveness every hour of every day. So he's there to intercede upon our confession. Oh, may God help us. We're, we're at a late hour. I believe the Lord is soon to come. Let's sing that little chorus just any day now. Our Lord is coming. Aren't you glad for that? I was thinking how that this day, it's the most perilous time of all. It's also the most glorious time of all. For the sinners, for the unbelievers, for the lukewarm, for the foolish virgins, it's a terrifying time. But for the bride of Christ, those simple believers that just take God at his word and love him, and we'll let him use them. Let's be about our Father's business. Let's bring him glory. Just any day.
bow our hearts together. And maybe just give a, a little opportunity here. It's lamp trimming time. Let's look in the mirror of God's word and see how brightly our light's shining. Are there things that we're doing where we're, we're, where we're allowing things of the world, we get consumed with all those things, our focus, we, we kind of squeeze in the Lord and, and things of being a Christian in the midst of our busy schedule? Or is he number one in your life? Is your bright light shining purely? Whatever it is, it's not my job to try to point out the specifics where, where maybe you or I are, are failing. But if we are, his Holy Spirit does that. And I pray this morning, if, if he's spoken to you, this is the opportunity to say, Lord, I want to respond right now while it's fresh. I don't want to get outside where all of a sudden then all these things keep crowding back in and I lose sight of this moment. But if there's something in your life you know that you need to trim your lamp so that that oil, oh yes, you've got the Holy Ghost, but is your lamp properly trimmed? Is it burning pure and clean? You just take this moment saying, Lord, I, I, want, I want to admit this. I want to confess this. I want to give this to you. I need help there. I'm laying this on your altar today. Clean it away from me, Lord. I want to be pleasing to you. I, I, want, I want on that day to say that, that you knew me. Heavenly Father, you see the hands that have been raised. And Lord, my hands raised. There's still things, Lord, that I need to to battle and to die to every day. Things that hinder the moving of the Spirit in my life. Lord, I want to be used of you in, a, in an ever constant and an ever greater way, Lord, as you would desire, as you would choose. Help me to get myself out of the way. I'm the greatest enemy that, that I've got. It's my selfishness. It's my pride. Lord, forgive me for that. Give me the boldness, Lord, that I'm not looking at me, but I'm just looking at you and the, the grace that you've given and the example that you gave us. Lord, I pray for each one here that's raised their hands this morning. Their heart is their altar. I pray, Lord, that you'd hear their cry. And Lord, that, that blood that is still sprinkling that mercy seat up there because of the atonement would just come down and just wash them clean. Lord, their, their, their wick would be trimmed that that light could once again shine brightly. May we go forth from here this day, Lord, shining like never before. Lord, in this dark age, that, that people would see the reality of what it is to be a real Christian, to be a real message believer, because that's, I believe, a Christian in this last day, as you lead us into all truth, that's, that is finally, Lord, where you're trying to bring us to, is that revealed word, that restored word for our day. But Father, I'm afraid so many times the people of the world, they look at us, they see our fussing and feuds, they see our lukewarm lives and, and, and they don't really desire what we're saying. Lord, may we live a life that we would be salty. People would be thirsty for you. So Lord, we commit ourselves to that, once again thanking you for that atonement. Lord, not just the price of our, of our penalty paid, but our relationship fully restored with you. What a wonderful thing, Lord. I ask that you take the words that went forth this morning and may we just take them to heart. May we ponder over them. May they change us, Lord. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We know that song created me, a clean heart, that I might serve him.
Salvation. 